0: One thing, Sanjay, is always take chances. I think that's what immigrants do by coming here. And I think young people, I do a lot of mentorship with young people. You should take risks earlier on than you think in work worker. And I wish I had done it earlier, but anyway, I did it. I took that chance. And yeah, it paid off.
1: This is the Indian podcast. Stories of success from leaders and changemakers of Indian origin. Why have Indians achieved success across so many different disciplines around the globe? I have no idea, but let's find out together. Every story is unique. I'm very excited to have Amit Singh with us today. He's the chief business officer of Palo Alto Networks, a leading cybersecurity company. He has also served as their president. He has served in leadership roles at Google and Oracle. I invited him on this show as I was fascinated by his journey from being at an Air Force high school in India to a leadership role for one of the leading cyber security companies in the world. Welcome, Amit. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on our podcast.
0: Sanjay, it's so good to see you again. And yeah, being back in Air Force school brings back memories for sure.
1: (laughs) Wow, we are going to take you way back there, Uh, Amit. We are trying to capture the journey to inspire others. So when you try to capture the journey, we have to go right to the beginning. So Amit, can you walk us to where were you born? Tell us a little bit about your parents and then we'll dig more into it.
0: Sure. Yeah, I was born in Delhi, uh, in the military hospital in Delhi. And my dad was in the Air Force and served for over 30 years. And I'm the only child. We were just different Air Force bases all across the country, on the Pakistan border, on the China border. And for a long time, obviously I tagged along with my parents, but then went to boarding school after that, as you mentioned.
1: So as a armed forces kid, you have to be really adjusting. I'm not one, but I have a lot of friends. So. New friends, new environment, new school. Just tell us firstly, where all did you go? Like places like Court and others, where all did you yeah, go? Yeah, Delhi, Kanpur,
0: Alwara, right outside Ludhiana, Hashimara, Kalaikunda, and Bangalore, and then back to Delhi.
1: Wow, you could be for the Indian tourism, incredible India journey. But that is pretty fascinating. So how was it going to... New different places, Amit, in terms of schools, friends, et cetera.
0: Sanjay, it's really, I think, been one of those core things that you end up doing. You don't know any better. And you have to be flexible. You have to learn how to adjust and go to a new place, pick up every two years, two and a half years, and new school and new friends and learn new curriculum and meet new teachers and understand what does it take to get good marks here. and. camp because you live in an Air Force camp and then there's a whole social and sports culture there and you go figure all that out. So I can only say that it was great because it made me who I am and you have to be open to these new experiences or else you're not going to do well, right? And it's just you're forced into it. And my parents were social enough where they'd make friends quickly and there's always a club at these places, Sanjay, so there's a place to go and they have sports facilities and stuff. So you go, hey, I want to play squash. So you pick up a racket, get out there and you find a partner. And then before you know it, you're friends with that partner, you play with them the next day. And that's just how life goes. And the school part was similar. You show up at nervous, first day of school in a new place. You don't know anybody. You got your uniform on and Teacher introduced you, here's the new kid. And everybody else, many people were also in force. So that's, that helps. There's a lot of local people. They're like, okay, another kid. And so it takes some toying, but it was a time pre the internet. There wasn't distractions. There wasn't social media. So you had the playground and you had your friends. (laughs) You had books, right? And so you bond over those things and maybe it's hindsight. You look at everything with rose-colored glasses, but at this moment, it felt like it was a pretty amazing experience to be able to see these different cultures, be part of different things, and I enjoyed it.
1: So that was your normal, so to speak, right? Sure thing, yeah. Yeah, but you went to some people who maybe our listeners might not know. the places in Northeast, et cetera, which have very different schooling and language, et cetera, also. Was that a little difficult? for you?
0: I was in Kendri with Dalai, so it was mostly Hindi and English. So, yeah, so did that. And I was never in a school where the language wasn't my own. Now, people around me spoke, like in Kalaikunda, they spoke Bengali. And in uh, Hashimara, they spoke Assamese, But I didn't understand any of those things. And we commonly spoke English or used gestures, so. However, it worked out. Or when we were in Secunderabad, actually, we did a stint in Sikandrabad. It was Tamils. It was different. It was just a different time where any kids were kinder, I think, at that time. I don't remember being bullied that much. I mean, it was the early part where there'll be somebody who'll be the tough guy, the boss of the school or whatever, wants to show you who's the man, who's the boss, and you just have to work your way around that. Wow. And then...
1: Being an only kid, how was that?
0: I didn't know any better. It was lonely. But my parents, uh, we were close, Play cards in the evenings and do stuff together. And I was mostly with books. I read a lot and I was in sports. So like I'd come back from school and go right to some after-school basketball. And when there were no kids, I'd play with the Javans. Right. right? I would play hockey with people like 20 years older or 10 years older than me young javans and learned how to get better, right? And I'll go for a swim and meet people there and played squash and stuff like that. There's usually a person there called a marker. And if there's no one there, you play with a marker. It was lonely during the school year. If it wasn't the school year, we'd go back to Lucknow where both my parents are from. And we had an extended family there, my mom's side. And this massive house and all the cousins would come. And it was just a remarkable experience. And... I remember it pretty vividly, sleeping well, there's so many kids, right? There's no rooms. So you sleep on the terrace, and that's the only place that's cool enough that you can get some sleep and that kind of thing. I'd say part of it was not going better. Part of it was a little lonely, but I had sports and books and my family, my immediate family with me. And like during holidays, it would be extended family. So that family has been the core of most of my upbringing.
1: So Lucknow was home, really, if you were to call a base camp. Lucknow, both, yes, exactly. Yeah, base camp was Lucknow. Wow. Grandparents? My dad is
0: four brothers and a sister, they would rotate, and they wouldn't live together. They'd live independently. (laughs) It's weird, but that's just how families are sometimes. So I remember, like, my grandma in Kanpur, my grandma was with us, and I was her help, and so I used to help her through Whatever she needed. And then in other places, my grandfather, we used to be there. And they were both, my grandma was like super religious, and my grandfather was like super intellectual, not religious at all. And he was a principal of a college. And so he was very much into studies and learning and paper. He'd get the paper first on that kind of thing and kind of a stern, stern character. But I grew up with them around, even if they didn't really make up a big part of the social. Like they were always there. You go and give them dinner for a while, right? And then sit with them, have a conversation. Just like it is for, I'm sure, many other families.
1: Close to grandparents or didn't have much interaction as much? I
0: had some, but my dad is the youngest of five siblings. So they were much older than me. But I remember my grandma, she's religious, like I said, and used to just... Teach me things about religion. And I used to sit with her. And she'd have these books and she would write Ram like repeatedly, just books upon books filled with that. And so that had a pretty early influence on my dad's very religious, also. Religion and spirituality have been a big part of our family's upbringing. So,
1: oh, that's great. When you were going from different schools, made any friends, any close friends during that process?
0: Not necessarily when you go from school to school, it's hard at that age to stay connected. And this is before, like I said, there was the tools. When I went to boarding school is where I made some of my closest friends because we lived together for four years in high school and still in touch with them, friends with them, meet them, that kind of thing.
1: No, so that's pretty interesting. And any subjects you gravitated towards while you were Pre high school, so I was usually in, in the top of the class.
0: My grandfather, my dad was gold medal list, and that's all I heard. Right, everybody gets the best marks. So you're like,
1: dude, I better get the marks or whatever. no, no choices here, man. And no
0: choice, yeah. You're only child, so all your parents' focus comes to you. I was reasonably good at most subjects, but math and physics were the ones that I gravitated to.
1: Generally, was mom or dad helping at all with the homework?
0: Early on, it was my dad, but then I said, I'll do it. (laughs) I got it. Yeah, I was pretty self-motivated and I would put in a ton of work to just learn the subject matter,
1: understand it deeply. Tell us a little bit about your mom. Have you spoken about your dad? I want to know a little bit about mom.
0: Yeah, so mom was this intense and go-getter type person Mm -hmm. who had a big influence on me. I remember telling, can I say in Hindi? Buddy. You know, be somebody when you grow up, (laughs) become somebody. She had these one-liners. Money is like vitamin M or something. (laughs) Because we didn't really have a lot of money. So that was a big motivator for her. And then she was also like, do kind things, good things for people, try and help somebody, that kind of stuff. He was also somebody who had a lot of aspirations. My dad is very low-key and balanced and big meditator, that kind of thing. My mom was all about social cool and revolve around her family and friends and going out and having fun and seeing places and trying things. She'd be enrolling in a course a week, try something new and read books. And I take a lot of that from her, actually. Absolutely. I try a lot of things. I do a lot of things. I have big appetite
1: for experiences and so on. So she had a lot of ambitions for you.
0: She did. She had ambitions for me. She had ambitions for herself. She started a business in her 50s, making cushions from scratch, cushion covers with silk. She had learned that craft and found a tailor. Then there was this store in Delhi called Santushti, which is a boutique art store. She'd go, she'd take a bus and take it. Like my dad wouldn't take her for some reason. I don't know why. Like, she would go by herself and take care of stuff. And, and then she learned how to do flower arrangement, ikabana, and then she used to go do various functions, Air Force functions, and do the different arrangements for people. So yeah, she had a lot of ambition and passion for life.
1: That's fantastic. Japanese flower arrangements and cushion and that too in Delhi, maybe in Hauskas or something. And she was like. a
0: great painter. She learned how to paint herself and made paintings that still hang on the walls of her house. Wow. A lot of socializing happening at that time. The culture very much in the Air Force and our family in general is social. We interact a lot with our family members during holidays. And then usually during a week, you go to someone's house in the camp because that's who you have as U.S. folks away from civilization in some cases. So you go and socialize as a club. You socialize there, go out for dinner there, play sports and that kind of thing. So yeah,
1: it was a very social experience. Going to the MESS. So people who don't know, MESS is a big thing for the armed forces. But that's fantastic. You went from different places. How was it decided that you're going to go to this Air Force? This was a boarding school, right?
0: That's right. Yeah. So I had gone to that school. I was my parents. I had gone to the Air Force school when we were in Delhi right before that. So for three, four years. But you were a day scholar there, right? I was a day scholar there. Yeah. Uh-huh. And then I came to Kalaikunda, which is right outside Kharagpur. And there was an Air Force base. They used to have hunters and MiGs at that base, close distance to China and so on. And I remember this day, they like the a hot shot, like Air Force, these young pilots, 18, 19 years old. And I was in awe. Oh, they were top guns, man. I used to go into their locker room, put on the thing. I never went up there. I wasn't allowed, but... I sat in many of these fighters and I just got that experience. Wow, this is amazing. But in eighth grade, when this was eighth grade in Kalaikunda. I was there for seventh and eighth. And at that time, I was getting 100% marks on virtually everything. And there was no competition. And it felt like to my parents that the curriculum wasn't really pushing me to be my best. And they made the call to put me back in Air Force school in Delhi in boarding school and I was partially excited but quite nervous about going there but yeah I was there. Calm.
1: You send you there because you didn't have a rigorous curriculum and this was what in ninth grade that you joined? This uh, is ninth yeah I went back in ninth yeah. And this time you were in boarding right? Four years in boarding school yeah. Tough in the beginning because can be pretty tough with especially in the air force boarding school and especially air force kids man.
0: Yeah. Uh, I mean, there was some ragging and uh, that's how you get to know people. You're nervous and you're in a cohort of eight, seven new kids. Some of them have been in the boarding school well before you. so They have their relationships and stuff. So homesick for a few weeks and that was it. Very quickly, you get into the flow and the ragging is there to introduce you to everybody really. and And it wasn't like super bad. It was like, Wake up and sent you to go get water from somewhere and go clean, polish the shoes of the seniors and that kind of thing. Yeah, it's like pretty basic stuff. Nothing too bad.
1: Yeah, but then did you start warming up, making friends out there?
0: Oh yeah, the eight of us that were in the dorm together became super close. Did a lot, we did everything together, hung out together, got to become really close friends, and still are. From different parts
1: of the country or?
0: Yeah, different parts. There were different parts of the country. Haryana, Meerut was from Delhi. I had a friend who came with me from Kalaikunda hmm. on the north side of India.
1: How are the studies? Were they a little more rigorous than Kalaikunda?
0: Rigorous for sure. Yeah, the reason they selected it because it's a rigorous school. There's a lot of discipline, focus and high quality of
1: studies. CBSE? Yes, CBSE. Oh, you were... Killing it in Kalaikunda. Did you come down to earth? I was doing pretty well when I was there as a day scholar. And then I,
0: or till ninth, ninth grade, I did okay. And then I started to just veer off into lots of extracurricular activities, a lot of sports. So I played basketball, played hockey, because even in boarding school, you get to do everything, right? And I got obsessed with basketball. I was playing it night and day. And I didn't make the team initially, but I was better than most of the folks in the team. And then they had tryouts and I kind of blew past most of the other people. So they had to pick me. (laughs) And then a boarding school life has its own culture. It is sort of the hanging out with people and the inter house rivalries, that stuff gets to be intense and the friendships that you make and whatever somebody's going through. So that became more of my life. So yeah, grade slipped in 10th grade by 11th grade as like middle of the pack. And then I also didn't go to school for a few weeks, for a few months. I was playing table tennis, like around the clock. Got obsessed with table tennis and Donkey Kong. Yeah, doing things that really I would not recommend your listeners' kids to do. But I did them and I had to leave boarding school for six months. I self-tapped out and said, I'm not going to do well in my board exams and I need to now focus. So in 12th grade, she came down and we had this... uh, a uh, small room. It was tiny, above a garage, basically. And she would stay there and I studied like 18, 20 hours day to make up for years of neglect.
1: We call it the boot camp of Indian studying.
0: That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Your board exam is in March, I think. So in October, I told her like, yeah, yeah I got to do this. So she came down and she was she disappointed. No, no. She was happy that at least I was putting in the work, finally, because they saw the grades slipping and what's going on? I'm like...
1: So you went to house Housecast? So you moved out of the boarding to Boarding house school.
0: Class. Yeah, I couldn't do it. There was too many distractions for me. <laughs> so.
1: And that's a topic for another podcast, the distractions. But were you still in school or did you just stay? Yeah,
0: school. Still in school. I would go occasionally, but I have the curriculum. I'm going to just grind it out. Just taught myself and worked around the clock pretty much in 12th grade for the board
1: exams, yeah. So what was the result of this six-month penance that you did, Banwas? We call it 6 months Banwas. I, you know, I, I, I dropped the school as the first and I came out of nowhere. and nobody expected. Well, our listeners should know that is not generally how it should be done or maybe that's how it should be done. I don't know, man. Cruise and then do a six-month crash course and come first in school. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't recommend that. <laughs> yeah. I don't think so. So you came first in school and then what were you thinking? What am I going to do now? I'm very curious about
0: things I want to do. Right now I'm preparing for triathlon. So I've learned everything about triathlons and I'm doing four days a week of training. But general school wasn't that interesting. Why do I need organic chemistry? I'm not going to use any of it. I still believe that. I think school parts of school are amazing, like the social part and the things you want to do. Other parts are just useless, frankly. And so I felt that way even then. And so by then I was so exhausted. I gave my IIT thing and then got some really poor rank, like 1,500 or something. So it wasn't great. I got IIT, BHU, some ceramic engineering, (laughs) but I had good grades. So I got directly at those days, Delhi College of Engineering would take you based on the board marks directly. And so I actually didn't get in the first list or the second list because I had to go to DU for, since I didn't have any school entry. Damn, I thought I'd get in. I didn't like the IIT option. And so I walked up to the physics professor. My physics was the best thing. Like I need admission and the admissions were closed. They're like, what are you doing, man? I was like, I don't know. I just, did. I thought I'd get into other things. I didn't I'd like to get to into Hindu and so they opened it up for me. I filled out the form and I got in and pretty much played basketball because I was waiting for the DCE thing to come in. My mom would go there once a week. What the hell is going on? Can my son get into DC? And finally, on the third list, I got in and then I went to DC for years.
1: Well, how was that experience? Tell us a little bit. No, honestly, it wasn't that great. I was really into social stuff and I had built this
0: community of people and social stuff and sports made up more of my life than education did. And so I wanted to prioritize those things. So I played for the team. I ran track and those kinds of things in college. And I didn't really enjoy the classes. I did electrical the so power engineering just didn't motivate me. I did it because that's what you do. But not my favorite thing. A lot of it. great people there. My roommate in Masters was a friend of mine from there. We weren't friends at that time, but we became friends later. He's one of my closest friends now. But it was the social equation. There was a lot of very cerebral people, call them geeks as a word. But I mean that in a positive sense, by the way, that geeks will rule the world. When I was in a different mind space, I was into party. I had a bet with my dad that if I got 90% or higher, he'd buy me a motorcycle. And I did. I had a Yamaha 100. Yeah, so I was into that. I was reading a lot, reading like non-school stuff, like fiction, non-fiction, playing squash for the team and outside. And my parents came back to Delhi at that time. So I was staying home. Went to the Holocaust Club, which is the club that, All the services people use. So I used to play squash two, three hours a day and swim and hang out with people. And it was a social time more than it was a school time. I felt like I've already done all this. I worked for six months. I'm done with that. It was reasonable marks and all that that I got. But it wasn't something that I would say, oh my God, this is the highlight of my life or anything like that.
1: It wasn't, huh? It didn't challenge you or it didn't interest you? It was interest. I wasn't interested. So then you didn't think of just skipping, changing or anything like that?
0: You're in it. You don't know any better. You're like, I need to do something with my life. An engineering degree is a good thing. I was pretty sure I'll do my master's when I'll do something different. And uh, yeah.
1: So then as you are getting close to graduation, what was going on at that time? Mom and dad, any pressure from mom and dad? Hey, what will you do? You got to be a big man and vitamin M is very important, uh, Amit.
0: Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I was pretty sure that I would be going to the United States. I had this fascination from movies, like I was a big Star Wars fan and I loved English music. A friend of mine, he, in boarding school, his parents were posted abroad and they'd send like tinned meat. And I'm like, man, this is cool stuff. And another thing is I started playing. I would have more opportunity here, I guess, just the grind of the competition and too many people competing for too few roles wasn't ideal for success. So those were some of the reasons. And I had family members who had been to the U.S. My dad's older brother came for his master's in Washington because you need exemplars to be able to even imagine a world like that. I had exemplars. And so those were some of the reasons.
1: What about the music? What kind of music were you impressed from the US? Rock? Classic rock, yeah. Dire States and Pink Floyd and Billy
0: Joel, Billy Joel Eric Clapton, the people of that genre. I was into Bruce, I was into Elvis, I was into so many great banks, the police. Now, there was this World Hunger tour that came through India. I was like in the front row cheering, and it's a great experience.
1: That's fantastic. You knew that's a destination, so to speak, for you. So what did you start doing towards that? Let's say when you were coming close to graduation.
0: At that time, yeah, pre-internet, this is 1988. Okay. And how do you do one of these things? You ask people, you go to the American embassy. There's an institute there it has books. You read about it. You talk to people who might be coming back in the US. Hey, what was that like? Which school are you in? What should I do? You'd heard about a few, MIT and Harvard and things like that. And, and I had somebody one year senior who had gone to the U.S. So I relied on him to say, what should I do? What should I apply? What is this process like? Oh, you have to take an SAT exam. Then you have to prove that you know English, which is to TOEFL and stuff. And so, okay, I'm going to do that. So you sat, gave the SAT, you gave the TOEFL, get your grades back. And then you talk to your friends, you go to this institute and try and look at this top engineering schools list. I I knew I didn't want to go to do engineering because I already had that experience. And I wanted to do maybe an MBA, but we didn't have any money. So I'm like, my parents can't afford it. They don't give me a loan at that time. So I did what is the closest is industrial and management. I will take that degree and do more management and that'll be my entry into business. And so that was my strategy. And so I applied to just that program in four or five places. These were expensive, $20 to apply at that time. was like a fortune, right? To send your transcripts and all of that and all these stamps. And I got three places, got Alabama, Tuscaloosa, Roll Tide. RPI was my top choice and I got rejected from all the others. Wow,
1: that's uh, fantastic. One question before we talk about RPI. No interest in following dad in the services at all? No pressure?
0: I originally had interest to be a fighter pilot and Mm -hmm.
1: fly planes and live fast and all of that.
0: Have a great life because I saw that life being pretty awesome. But my dad dissuaded me from it. I don't think you're going to like it. I think you're meant for something else. You're meant for bigger things in his words. I was torn, but then I pretty quickly pivoted with his help to doing something else, not everything
1: any regrets on that at all? You could have been maverick. I could have been maverick, yeah.
0: Flown planes, I have a motorcycle now, I like bikes. It's a great life. It's actually a great life. It's not very lucrative, which is fine. Yeah, I guess, now that you're asking me, maybe a few <laughs> regrets.
1: Well, no, just looking back, you came to RPI. When you came here, how was it? Was it the climate? the whole environment. This was the first time you were coming to the U.S. Pre-internet, no strong winter jackets, I presume. Oh, boy. So I come into, this is Troy, New York. I've mm-hmm. New York. And I thought it
0: was in, in New York City or somewhere. I didn't, I didn't know any different. Thing. And it's a small town and it's like an old town, slightly dilapidated and cold. Initially in August, in Milan, it was beautiful and then pretty quickly it turned cold. And I was like, yeah, you have to buy goose down jackets and then you don't have any cars. So you have to walk to school and it's cold as hell. You're not used to this. And so, yeah, you learn a lot of things from that experience. And I was in a lab. So there was people helping me as doing a lab assistantship type research. And so you make friends pretty quickly. It's pretty international. So that part was good. But yeah, learning how to cook by yourself. I lived with. My friend Vishal, who I knew from Delhi College of Engineering, we you, you became roommates and then very close friends and taking turns cleaning house and cooking. And as an Indian community, you pretty quickly plug into the indian there. And before you know it, there's an Indian association in the school and I ended up being part of their functions. And I was the host and MC of many of their shows. And that's how I got to meet
1: so many people. So going from having a lot of orderlies to being an orderly yourself in a way. People who understand defense will understand the joke here. But anyway, that's a whole different story. But how was the education like that? It was nice. It
0: was easy. I I will find U.S. education compared to Indian fairly easy. People very generous with their time. Professors are very available compared to in India open book I didn't understand the concept like you you mean I can just answer it look at the book and answer this question it's so easy (laughs) had some software programming at the in those days it was still early days of computer science and so on and so learned some skills there programmed on a back like a big mainframe but then also on Apple had just come out with its Mac, small little minis and so floppy disks and that stuff. Did a couple of classes on organizational design and management and stuff. Got some stuff out of that. But I finished it in a year and a half, six months before, so.
1: So then you graduated in a year and a half. So what was the mission then, Vitamin M? Get a job, try and stay in the country, Right.
0: No, it wasn't my vitamin and Sanjay, at that stage is survival. You got to stay in the country, for that you need a job. And it was in 1990 and 91 was when the recession came with Bush senior. So there weren't really that many jobs. So it was like, how do I get one of those?
1: Yeah. So how did you get one of those? uh...
0: Applied to a million places, got rejected from almost all of them. I had done one project on database design in computer science. Oracle, I was using Oracle, actually. Yeah, I was Oracle and I was doing some stuff with training expert systems, just the precursor to AI, and applied it to material science. I had some skills, but honestly, not great, okay? It was pretty basic, raw skills. And Oracle had come on campus and I'd applied there. And they were a young company at that time. And they were recruiting for a software programmer role out of Vermont, actually. There was a team in Vermont, Burlington, Vermont. And so I got an interview there and they asked me like how good my skills were. And they didn't really give me a test, which is a mistake on their part because I'm like, hey, my skills are great. <laughs> Just <laughs> take my word for it. And our social skills were good. So he's a good guy. But I didn't really know C. I just dabbled a little bit in it. And uh, so I did get that offer. It was, I remember at that time, it was so much money. And it was modest amount in these days, but felt like I was the top of the world. Just first of all, got a job and all the money. And then that I could afford an apartment on my own and get my parents tickets to come visit me and that kind of stuff. Yeah. So you moved to Vermont then, I moved to Vermont, yeah, for a year and lived there, beautiful place. And then the team had to consolidate with the Boston office. Then I spent the next 20 years in Boston, almost all of it with Oracle, still with Oracle, but in different jobs, no longer a software programmer because I just very quickly realized like sitting by yourself and writing code wasn't for me. And I want to be out there and meet people. And so I found my way. Into to the sales side of things. First pre-sales and then sales.
1: Wow. But that's a transition, right? A lot of people don't make that transition from coding to sales.
0: Yeah, accidents happen in life. We were sharing a floor with the sales teams and they would always have issues with their demo setup and I'd be helping them and occasionally I would present, "Hey, this is what we're working on to customers. And the person running that team, the Boston office, took a liking to me. Say, hey, yours, you're really good in customer customers. If you ever want to do something, you should talk to us. So I'm like, oh. And then they moved the engineering team back to California. And I didn't want to move to California at that time. I was dating this girl, who's my wife now. And I said, I have a good thing going. I don't know how long distance would be, so... I chose then at that time to take him up on this offer and move to a sort of a technical sales role, which I didn't know what that meant, frankly. I had like a little glimpse of that experience just presenting to people. I'm like, I'm good at that part of it. But then you learn, you go through boot camp and you learn it. You learn watching people and on-the-job training pretty much. They pretty much throw you in and you go figure it out. So,
1: Well, that's good. That's good. So several roles in Oracle. And in Boston. And mom and dad came to visit also?
0: Oh, yeah. Every year. Yeah. Every year for a long time, they'd come. We'd go travel. I'd take them to conferences, obviously. So, yeah, we're very close. And so that's been a routine right since then, like my parents and now my dad, they come every year.
1: That's uh, fantastic. So then you moved from Oracle to where did you move? Google. What was the transition? Yeah, I'd been at Oracle for almost twenty years.
0: I'd done four or five roles. I went from pre-sales to sales, then to sales management, and then to an executive role. I almost left Oracle in '99 and started my own business, but then it crashed right in 2000, so I lost my nerve, and then took a role in corporate strategy slash integration. Oracle had just started buying companies, so I worked on those projects. And that was very interesting. Generally get bored with things and I want to try new things. So that was a new thing. And integrating these companies into Oracle and delivering growth and revenue from that. Meaningful change from the prior role. By Actually. by 2007, I was tired of of being in one place. I felt like I need to do something else. You know how it is. And at that time, S3 and Amazon just released that. And I saw some colleagues using it for doing demos and stuff. And I thought cloud is going to be really an important technology in the future. Oracle was not going down the path of cloud and felt like I needed to change. And then Google came a knocking. They wanted somebody to help bring them into the enterprise world. They weren't an enterprise company. They were a search company. And so I took that chance. It was a big move, moving three young kids from east coast to the west coast, uprooting your family, moving away from friends and all of that. Very difficult choice, but my wife was the anchor and like the wind beneath my wings to give me confidence that we'll be fine. And so made that move and started that job. And soon enough, I was running sales for that team, the enterprise team. And then Larry became CEO and yeah, things changed, and my boss, who was the president of that time, ended up leaving the company, and I was the guy. So Suddenly, I was thrust into the role of president of Google Enterprise. Yeah, it's one of those things.
1: So the lesson is you should sometimes take chances or maybe listen to your wife.
0: Both things. Always listen to your wife. And actually, one thing, Sanjay, always take chances. I think that's what immigrants do by coming here. And I think young people, I do a lot of mentorship with young people. You should take risks earlier on than you think in long workout. And I wish I'd done it earlier, but anyway, I did it. I took that chance and uh, yeah, it paid off.
1: Yeah, because 20 years is a long time because your roots, your friends, your kids' education, everything is in one place. But you did it. And then you became president of Google. Circumstances, your talent, the guy, moved, Larry, moved out. And you continued in Google. And then you left Google. That job was
0: amazing. President of Google. I introduced Google Cloud to the world. That was a project we called. that became Google Cloud from Google Enterprise. rebranded it. And I had the best time. I was doing product management, engineering, sales, operations. But it was a small division inside mother Google, right? So from that perspective, I think it was like $5 billion in revenues, three times that amount now. And so got an opportunity to learn a lot, learn from the Google culture, learn about innovation and how to collaborate across lots of teams and how do we need large teams where you're delivering on a mission and under difficult circumstances, a lot of competition from Amazon and Azure, and of course, difficult to get resources inside Google. So you're fighting a multi front battle. So those days are just super intense, working nonstop, flying around the world, trying to promote both Google, but also cloud. This is early days of cloud, right? This is not a fact that it would become the dominant architecture for technology service delivery. But in those days, you have trying to meet CIOs and convince them, hey, give us a chance and we can do these things and so on. Obviously now it's quite different. And yeah, then 10 years there, I actually worked towards the end of it on some very interesting project on virtual and augmented reality, like glasses and a little ahead of its time, but I learned a lot from that too. Google Glass, Daydream, which was the virtual reality project, and then Google Lens, which is used for understanding of the world. Just Interesting technology, very futuristic, a lot of difficult challenges to solve. But then I was done with 10 years, eight, nine years there. good enough time and it's time to do something else and then join Palo Alto Networks, which is where I am now.
1: This is, again, a lesson, a little bit for our listeners. You're not a software engineer per se, are you? I was, but I'm not anymore. Okay. Because people who are wondering, hey, Not a software engineer. How did he get into a leadership role? What would be your message towards them?
0: So, look, I visualized being a president CEO when I was 21 years old. I knew that was my path. I closed my eyes. I could see myself doing that. And the life trajectory just led me there. And obviously, your hard work. You have to be lucky. You have to have the right people around you. You have to take risks. So that's what I wanted. I truly wanted to be that. What does it take? First of all, I had to play to my strengths, which are communication, presence, persuasion, leadership. Those are my skill sets. Business. So it wasn't software engineering. But I still, to this day, I think like a software engineer, deep in product thinking, uh, design, tech. I still read a lot of technology, like white papers and newsletters. Right now, I have eight AI-based newsletters I read every day and white papers that come out. And when I'm talking to product managers at Palo Alto Networks or at Google at that time, I'd go pretty deep in the tech. Like, why did you make certain decisions and so on and so forth. And software engineering and engineering in general gives you that ability, even though you may not be doing it every day to think logically, have structure, be able to abstract that into idea. And along the way, I put a lot of investment in my career, learning new skills, learning how to present, selling, marketing. And I was at Google product management. What does that look like? So rounded all of that out by doing either in the context of that job or taking a sideways role like when I was at Oracle, learning how to integrate companies that you've purchased. That's not a skill that most people have. And then some things you learn on the job. I used to be much more authoritative, you know, direct, directive in my style, and then learned that there are other ways to do it and went to classes for it, either read books or went to a training program on leadership, for example. And so you learn all those skills along the way that give you the baseline to become an executive
1: or a CEO. So I think one of the messages you're trying to tell our listeners is self learning is very critical true?
0: I think all learning is self learning. Even if you're in school, how much effort you put in one subject is what makes the difference. And today, learning is virtually free on Coursera or YouTube. You can learn pretty much anything. It's just desire and interest. And I've been somebody who has a lot of curiosity. So if I get interested in something, I will just immerse myself in that and just absorb and learn it and so on. And I think that's advice I definitely give younger people.
1: Curiosity and self-learning, that's very important. One thing you touched on, Amit, and this is something we ask all our guests the role of mentors. Now they come in many different shapes and sizes, informal, formal. Have there been some kind of a mentor in uh, or mentors across your journey in any way?
0: Uh, yeah, absolutely. I've been so privileged, Sanjay, that I've worked with amazing people. At Oracle, I had several mentors, took me under their wing when I didn't know how anything about sales. What is that? How do I do it? And they showed me the ropes. And then when I moved to Google, same thing, right? The culture there is very much a mentorship and collaboration culture and not even just people who you work for, people who you work alongside. Like Sundar was a great mentor. He had great design thinking, was a good friend. And you don't have to be formally mentored. You can just observe people in their natural habitat and their way of being or the way of thinking, the way they write or the way they present. And you can be mentored by that experience. So I've always admired so many people and their skills and tried to incorporate that into my own knowledge base.
1: That's fantastic for especially our young listeners. Amit, we have painted a very, at least in my mind, a very vivid image of a very social curious young man. What is one of your favorite childhood memories? If you were to pick one, I'm sure there are many. One is this being in a big house, three-story
0: with all the cousins sitting in a kitchen where fresh pulkas are being made and you're like in a row and like just eating food together, that communal feeling. Another one would be like going from one posting to another train with all your luggage in one place and trying to quickly get off that train before it departs because it's you, your mom and your dad and you're engaging with so many people in the train and playing cards and this is before the day if food was easily available. So at different stations, friends would bring you a descend so you have food for the next, because these are four-day journeys, right? These take a long time.
1: Now, train journeys are incredible uh, memories. So great memories. Amit, obviously, you've come a tremendous amount from the different places to Air Force school to now to California obviously you're getting ready for your trial thon. but let's just take you to the future a little bit and it's hard to predict but where do you think your journey is going to go in the future
0: I'm trying to answer that question for myself I love California I just started I've been the course for young people that I'm trialing at Palo Alto networks on how to communicate and present and build your capability of communicating to a large group of people. And I feel like that's a skill I've learned over time. And so I just did the first class and I have seven more that I plan to do. And I'm mentoring these kids. There's about 30 in this cohort. And so giving back to people, we have a big philanthropy. I do a lot of philanthropy with my personal resources. I do a lot of investments with young entrepreneurs, building companies. I'm a board of a few of them. I'm still working at Paladin Network, so I have that. So it's a pretty full life. And then I have a very important daily spiritual practice on meditation. I try not to miss it any day because every day I can do that is a great day. So yeah, I'm doing the triathlons. It's a lot. There's a lot of fun in my life.
1: Yeah, a lot going on. There's mentorship, investments, philanthropy, spirituality. Wow. You got a full plate and then triathlon, let's not mix that. We've taken you to the future. I'm going to just take you quickly to the past briefly. Imagine this is me, Amit, who's just come out of Delhi engineering. Just if you had to give him one or two pearls of wisdom like your mom used to give, if you were to give that to me, what would be the one or two pearls of wisdom?
0: Amit, don't be so intent. Try to have some fun along the way. Uh, I do have fun. I do love to have fun, yeah.
1: Smell the roses. Yeah, smell the roses. No, but that's great to know. Amit, if you were to pick two or three key inflection points in your life, because it's very important for our listeners to know, because they are faced with inflection points, if you were to pick one or two or three.
0: We've talked about some obvious ones, but I'll tell you this move from software engineering to business was one where it was like, I knew in my heart, it was a safe thing, keep staying there or move there. I usually believe it will come to you. And it came to me and I made that move, even though I had no business going into business. Right, I had no skill there. Another one was this, looking at the future, the cloud might be a future. And I know it's a big risk. And taking risks is the biggest part of things. Take the risk. And even though it's a huge cost to you pay, but over time it works out. That was another inflection point. And I think now is another inflection point right now where I'm like, look, I was president of Palo Networks. I was done. I'd been president of Google Cloud. I'd done both things. Big, I don't need to prove that part to myself. But I'm curious about a lot of other things and both my personal spiritual growth, my physical growth, and my commitment to the community and my family. And for that, I need time. So I gave up all those responsibilities. We have a great new president who's doing a good job. So I can now focus on, at work, more strategic things and then find time to do all these other things I'm describing because you can't do that if you don't have a calendar that enables that, right? And that was a third inflection point, which at different stages you make these choices.
1: That's pretty cool. Going from software to business, going figuring out the cloud will be a big thing and then obviously now focusing on some other things and giving up very hard for people to give up big titles and big roles, which you did. So that's fantastic. We have uh, last two rapid fire questions by one or two or three sentences. Your definition of Indianness, you alluded to it, but we want to hear it.
0: It's really love and connection. That's the thing I see. Whenever I see people, I love seeing Indian people. I love seeing Indian making seeing Indian people do well. There's so many here in Silicon Valley and all around the world. And it makes me happy, <laughs> happiness.
1: Good. That's a fantastic seeing other Indians do well. And that's why we are building a community, Amit, and we'd love for you to be part of that, the indian community. Last question, and I have a feeling I know the answer to this, but a person not in your family living in India or abroad of Indian origin that you admire, I have a feeling I know the answer. I'd say living
0: person would be Sri Ravi Shankar. Uh, He's been a mentor and somebody's brought a level of energy and awareness and simplified Vedantic culture in a way and a set of practices that I would recommend everybody who hasn't tried it to try out of living and um, just an amazing human being.
1: Fantastic. Fantastic. Amit, thank you so very much for being so open, so honest and giving us a peek into six months of crash courses and other things, etc. So really look forward to maybe continuing the conversation, also inspiring so many others. So thank you, Amit. Really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Indianist podcast.
0: If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star review and subscribe to enjoy future
1: inspirational stories.